on our study at looking at the statements that Jesus Christ made from the cross. And we already covered the first one, which was what? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In chapter 23, verse 26, it says, Now as they led away, led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of the people followed him, and women also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children, for indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us into the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the dry? There were also two other criminals led away with him to be put to death. And when they'd come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Remember, we said forgiveness is a choice. It has nothing to do with how you feel. It's a choice of your will. And they divided his garments and cast lots, and the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of of the Jews, save yourselves. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do not even fear you fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, we're going to look at this, and we're not going to get through all of them today because of the snowstorm, but we'll continue this next week and finish it. But uh, we see the statement that Jesus made. He said, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, when you think about this, um, there's another statement made in Matthew 27, verse 44, which states, even the robbers, and the robbers, plural, were crucified with him, reviled. Reviled means to mock or to scorn or to ridicule him with the same thing. Something happened to that thief on the cross. It says here in Matthew that he joined in with the other one. But I believe after the one thief made this heard the statement that Jesus made, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Something happened in his heart. And all of a sudden, instead of scorning and ridiculing the Lord Jesus Christ, the light went on, and he recognized his own sin. He recognized everything that he'd done, but he also saw there was hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to give you a little bit of historical background. Legend declares that one of the thieves' name was Demas. It is possible he'd heard Christ at one time or even witnessed maybe a miracle that Jesus had performed. So 
there was a faint hope in Demas that Jesus could rescue him and save him. And, you know, even he, at the point he, he realized that he wasn't going to be saved, he looked at Jesus and he even came against the other thief that was on the cross and rebuked that fellow thief and defended Jesus. And as we find out, he's, the repentant thief went to Abraham's bosom after Jesus died. Now, Abraham's bosom was also called paradise, where, where all the Old Testament saints went. And, and then uh, the other thief, of course, didn't go to Abraham's bosom or paradise, but he went to the place where wicked spirits were. So we see a, a statement in Proverbs 28 and 13. It says, if you confess and reject your sin, you will receive mercy. Did that thief receive mercy? Most certainly he did, okay? And we look at something, and, and this is what I want you to see. We've looked at the first lesson, which is we need to forgive others. But the next lesson is this. Even when you're going through persecution, even... Though you're going through trials and tests, anybody ever go through those? Go through hard times, perplexing times. Even when you're going through those times, you reach out to others. Jesus Christ, as he hung on the cross, and we see his humanity and we see his deity, but yet he reached out to that repentant thief. I want you to look at Job. Job. Right before Psalms, look at Job, Job chapter 42. These lessons we can apply to our own life. These seven statements, we can learn how to forgive and we can learn how to reach out to others even in the darkest hour that we're going through. And this is what Job did. In Job chapter 42, in verse 10, it says, And the Lord restored Job's losses when he what? When he prayed for his friends, was he in a dark spot? Yes, he was. We won't go into all that detail. But he prayed for his friends. Were his friends really helpful? Not really. It says, indeed, when he prayed for his friends, indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. So Job operated in forgiveness. Job operated in reaching out to others. And it says in verse 12, the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. Did he end up with more than he did in the beginning? He certainly did. So that's what we need to learn. And then you remember the good Samaritan, the parable of the good Samaritan. Jesus asked, he said, so which of these three between the priest, the Levite and the Samaritan, which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. So even Jesus Christ, when he hung on the cross, he reached out to someone. Now look at this, and uh, let's look at John chapter 19, the next statement that he made. John chapter 19. And I think this is, this is profound and really something that beautiful, something beautiful that Jesus did. In John chapter 19, in verse 25, this third statement that Jesus made, he says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene, 
And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. The third lesson is this. Take care of the people who depend on you. Take care of the people who depend on you. Did Jesus do that? Yes, he did. In the time of Jesus, the culture treated women like second-class citizens. After the male had died, you see this. Mary's protective covering and future financial status was uncertain. Can you imagine what was going through Mary's mind at the time? In Luke chapter 2, verse 35, is Simeon had foretold at the birth of Jesus, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. She also probably reflected on that what the angel had told her, that he was to be great and called the son of the highest, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Soon she would understand, but now she was watching her son die an agonizing death. See, that's what happened with the disciples. They thought he was going to set up a, a kingdom on earth. And here she was watching her only son, Jesus, die. Only one disciple remained faithful. Who was that? John, the apostle of love. When Jesus said, woman, behold your son, and to John, behold your mother. Now listen, he was giving a legal direction for her care. Joseph had died before the ministry of Jesus had begun, and since Jesus was the oldest son, who was responsible for taking care of the family? Jesus was. And it says, and from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. Tradition indicates that Mary lived another 12 years. So John probably never even left the city of Jerusalem until she passed away. Why? Because he understood covenant. He had a directive from Jesus to take care of his mother. Jesus taught that children should provide for their aged parents. And John received the request of Jesus as a privilege and an honor. There's a scripture that says, Let let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So you and I are to be concerned about what? Other people. Not just yourself. And see, that's what can happen. Many times we can get so caught up in our own world our own trial, our own test, our own suffering. Everybody goes through those things. But we shouldn't forget about meeting the needs of others. Amen? Amen. Now I want you to look at Matthew 27. Matthew chapter 27, the fourth statement Jesus made. Matthew 27 and verse 45. Anybody ask God why? Has anybody ever asked God why? 
as you've gone through something in your life, didn't understand, you were perplexed, confused. Why, God, is this happening? Well, there's a question here that Jesus makes in Matthew 27, verse 45. It says, Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour there was darkness over all the land, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he's quoting from Psalm chapter 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The first three statements Christ spoke as he hung on the cross include num- included, number one, a prayer for his enemies, a word to the repentant thief, and then final directions for his mother. But now things change. See, before even he thought about himself and what was going on, he thought about others. I'll tell you what, in these days in which we live, we need to remember that. We're all going through things in our life, but don't forget others. Don't forget those closest to you that depend upon you. He dealt with the interests of others. Now he was concerned about his own welfare. And as I've said, how many have ever felt forsaken? How many have ever at one point in your life, you felt like God wasn't even listening to you? He was a long ways away. Well, I've been reading a book, and I've had it in my library for a while, and it's written by Hank Kuhneman. You all know Hank. And it says, My Heart Cries Abba. And it says, Discovering Your Heavenly Father in a More Personal Way. And all through the year, all these years, we hear this statement, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we've thought what? That God the Father what? Turned away from Jesus and forsook him. Forsook him. Not necessarily true. And so I want to I take this time and I want to read to you and concentrate on this statement. This is the last one for today. And he says, was Jesus forsaken? It says, the sky became dark as the Son of God was bleeding upon the cross. The very doorway that would be open to all mankind who would receive his and Abba's plan. Now, Abba means Daddy God. And that's how Jesus addressed the Heavenly Father as Daddy. He's barely able to breathe, lifting himself up to take in the last few breaths he will ever take as a man sent to this earth. He has calls upon, he calls upon Abba saying, Father, forgive him. They know not what they do. His words are now harder to speak with swollen lips and bruised cheeks. He pulls himself up as strength is leaving his, his arms as they hang open as, oh, as they hang open wide, as if to say, my arms are open wide. Come all who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Come, come all who are guilt ridden with sin and I will forgive you and give you peace. He is weak and in constant pain as every nerve in his body responds to his suffering. He's not even recognizable to those who stood by as they shake their heads in disgust at him and his appearance. He's hungry. He's thirsty. He's not able to breathe, let alone speak. 
Yet the Son of God would find the strength and the joy set before him to endure the cross and utter something from his lips that caused those who stood by to suddenly stop and listen. Elio, 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 Lamasabachthani, which is to mean, interp- which is interpreted, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was Jesus feeling forsaken? Is this an actual question addressed to the Father? Is he actually being forsaken here when he utters these words? What is happening to Jesus? Was he asking why or was this a form of intercession for all humanity? In all his teachings, references to God, and even in the way he taught his disciples to pray, he always addressed God by calling him Abba, our Father. So why is he now calling him God and not Abba? In the seven sayings of Jesus recorded from the cross, he addresses God as his father twice. Yet why now is he saying God instead of the more intimate term of Abba? The mere fact that Jesus is making this statement as to call out to God reveals our human need for him in our lives. It is only by calling out to him as our God that he can become our personal Abba. Once we do, our hearts can cry Abba. Here, Jesus, by speaking this from the cross, is also quoting a question every human asks at some point in his or her life. It is the question of why. We must understand that when he was speaking this, it is also a form of intercession for humankind who is asking God the same question. Why did this happen? Why did my father leave me when I was young? Why am I hurting and in pain? Why do I feel forsaken? You know the questions we ask. Jesus was showing us by this statement that through his death and resurrection to follow, that he is the answer to every man's question of why. He was revealing that we no longer have to question God as to why because he was dying on our behalf to give man the answers that we need that God will not forsake us in this life. This is why Jesus was making the statement of why, quoting Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? This is how King David felt when he wrote this psalm and how we often feel today. We can sometimes feel abandoned, forsaken, and even think that God is not listening or helping us. But Jesus quotes this passage of why, so we don't have to. It isn't a question he's asking the Father as much as it is a question mankind asks in this life. It was to also give all mankind hope that his Father is with him and will be with us also. This is why we discover that it isn't Jesus questioning God, but answering a question by quoting a question from the psalm. Just because Jesus is asking a question doesn't mean that it is an indication of how he personally feels at the time or that his father is forsaking him. Remember, as we mentioned before, Jesus said that he knew Abba would not leave him and would always be with him and instructed to tell others of this very thing. So it would not make sense to think that Jesus doesn't know what is happening to him and questioning his father. Of course Jesus knows the answer to what is happening, and he wouldn't need to question his father by calling him God. He's not forgetting what is taking place or happening to him and is well aware of the soldiers and the crowds that surrounds him. He wasn't taken by surprise or feeling forsaken in the midst of it all. 
John reminds us in John 18, it says, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto him, whom do you seek? He knew exactly what was happening to him and knew all things that would happen to him, including his impending death. He knew all the things that would be done to him and put into his hands by his father. Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God. This means he knew everything happening to him and what would happen to him soon. So there's no need to ask why. Again, just because the scripture records him saying a question doesn't mean he was asking one because he needed the answer. He said, we will see that he was quoting a scripture for the benefit of those that were there that day and future generations that were to follow. We must remember that Jesus is naked, shame before the people. He's numb with what feels like knives piercing through his body and soul. Sure, he would feel forsaken all alone. However, that doesn't mean he was questioning his father about being forsaken. Isn't that how we feel when we're going through troubling times and painful trials? We tend to ask why and feel like God or no one cares or is even there for us. Yet Jesus is showing us that he is the answer and also interceding for us and our questions of why. In the midst of all this going on in his body and soul, Jesus would hold on to the promise of Abba never leaving his side. He wouldn't lose faith in his heavenly daddy being there for him and neither should we. So let's continue to see why Jesus made these remarks from the cross. Was Jesus telling the world that he was forsaken? Could he have been answering his critics, reminding them of a messianic psalm written years before for telling of him as a coming Messiah? Could he be telling them to rehearse Psalm 22 and reminding them that when he is lifted up, they will know who he is and what Abba is with him? I believe this is exactly what he was doing. He was answering a question and giving hope to you and to me and to all future generations. This, I tell you, when I read this, this changed because changed the way I thought, because we thought Jesus Christ was forsaken, that His God the Father turned away, and we're not going to go into detail there. But I began to see that Jesus was not forsaken. He says, when we think of the Father forsaking Jesus, it can build a sense of fear and hopelessness within us. It doesn't add to the comfort of those who look to their heavenly daddy for comfort, peace, and faithfulness. This is because they think if he would forsake Jesus, his son, then maybe he will forsake them, even though he said he wouldn't. Isn't it more powerful, comforting, and loving for Abba not to forsake his son and to stay at his side than it is to forsake him. What is the difference? He would not forsake Jesus and all of the inhumane things he went through. Then how much more comforting, comforting it is to know he won't forsake us. No matter what we're facing, suffering, hurting, or being, going through, if he was faithful to his son, then we can take him at his word that he will not forsake us. We quote it all the time. He'll he'll not leave us nor forsake us, but he's with us always, even to the end of the age. Here is our comfort as we see Abba remaining faithful to stay at Jesus' side. If God wouldn't forsake his son, then how much more will he not forsake you and me? Through it all, Abba would be there for Jesus like he was with Adam and Eve. He stood at his side and will stand with you as well. He will not forsake you. 
His eye was on his lamb, and his eye is on you also. Amen. Now, this will make you question some things. Jesus was made sin who knew no sin, right? And the, 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 the Bible talks about that sin, you know, and we need to recognize that Jesus was made sin, but he also, he was literally an offering for son, sin, and there's a difference in that. So today I want you to look at this. Remember, number one, to forgive those who persecute you. Number two, you need to reach out to others, even in your pain. Number three, you need to take care of those around you. Take care of your family, no matter what you're going through. And number four, Jesus Christ is the ultimate answer to the question of why. That's why we need to put our eyes on him, the author and the finisher of our faith. Let's stand our feet this morning. I'm so glad for the cross. Now, we're going to get through these statements. We'll maybe even finish Wednesday or by Sunday. And then we're going to go off into a subject on the resurrection. And we're going to talk about what the resurrection has provided for you and I. I realize Easter is over, but these are all truths we need to know. And uh, so we'll cover the cross, and then we'll go look at the resurrection and what resurrection life has provided. Father, we thank you for this day. This is Easter Sunday. This is resurrection morning, and we remember that. Now, Father, I pray by your Spirit that, that, Lord, you'll quicken to us these truths that we've learned from the statements Jesus made upon the cross. We'll apply them to our life. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can walk in forgiveness. We thank you, Lord God, that can, we can reach out to others. We thank you, Lord God, we can, we can be concerned about the welfare of others and take care of other people. And so, Father, we praise you and we worship you this morning. We glorify and honor you in Jesus' name.